0: Hello and welcome to Death Note, the horror movie podcast. I'm Rob Saunders and in this podcast I talk to various funny and interesting people about horror films. In this episode I talk to the legendary poster artist and illustrator Graham Humphreys about the Hammer classic Dracula AD 1972. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you know Graham's work. He's illustrated and created hundreds of classic horror film posters, including The Evil Dead, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Basket Case, Return of the Living Dead, From Dusk Till Dawn, Phenomena. The the list is almost endless. Uh, It would be easier for me to list the films Graham hasn't illustrated. I do have a bit of a geek out in this episode, because Graham showed me his original Evil Dead painting, uh, Which is pretty amazing. I do realise that doesn't quite work on an audio podcast, but I uh, left it in so you can hear me being a nerd. We had a great chat about Dracula AD 1972, Hammer Horror in the early 70s, Graham's vast catalogue of work and how he first fell in love with horror. When I recorded this episode, my internet went down, so I had to record it over the phone and it very much sounds like I'm talking over a phone. Um, But you're not here to listen to me talk, you're here to listen to Graham Humphrey's talking and I don't blame you. So uh, thanks again for listening, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Cheers.
1: Well, my first question is always: Are you a horror film fan? Which may be a silly question to ask you, looking at your walls behind you and, yeah, and what you deep, do for a living. Very <laughs> silly question.
2: <laughs> you, yeah. We might have a few clues behind me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but no, I, I am a yeah. I, I've been a horror fan since probably. Um, I was kind of even aware of horror films. And I suppose I'd have been about uh, eight or nine, probably, when I had. Um, uh, I had a friend I used to go and visit in a local village, and um, her father was a big horror fan. Um, I, I I don't know how kind of obvious it kind of was at the time, but it's just it, basically he had a really good collection of books and records, and among his books were um, some of the horror classics, which on, upon which Universal based their first films. And he had um, this fantastic book which had. Uh, It was some of the stories, um, like Phantom of the Opera, on which some of the um, uh, uh, films were based and and sort of, you know, sections of some of those books. But it had, most importantly, a a really good photographic um, section, which was, you know, stills from all those early Universal films. So that was really my first introduction to to horror films as such. And um, so my interest kind of grew from that and... um, uh, I, I think by, by by about the age of 11, 10, 11, I was actually buying some of those great classic books. Like, you know, I mean, I, I struggled with them, of course, because they're quite verbose, you know, but I went through Dracula and Frankenstein and, uh, you know, uh, Hunchback in Notre Dame, um, you know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, all those kind of classic um, books, which, you know, were really inspiring. And they kind of just, you know, pulled me right into the whole horror film uh, genre. And, you know, there's still those classics that I really, really love. Uh, but particularly the reimaginings that um, Hammer did of the of the Universal films. And uh, I think, you know, obviously that, the magic of Hammer was that it was, you know, full colour. Um, and, you know, they kind of, uh, in the same way, universe, the Universal originals um, drew on some sort of aspects uh, of uh, the sort of, you know, political context, I guess. So I think, you know, the First World War particularly had uh, a profound impact on some of the, subliminal messages in there and certainly you know the 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 filmmakers themselves and uh, a lot of the talent were were from Europe uh, having you know uh, obviously escaped the first world war so that kind of was kind of always in the background and then I think by the time Hammer films um, were doing their their reworkings uh, you know there are other contexts they could draw on uh, which were you know cultural um, things of the time So I I love all that kind of um, subliminal stuff that you see in films. And it's always fascinated me how, you know, there's this other kind of world within the films themselves. They're almost like the top layer. And then what's beneath it is, you know, quite often far more horrific and more interesting. However, you know, the entertainment factor is obviously, you know, hugely important and all the visuals and everything. And, um, but yeah, Hammer, we're, we're, you know, we're really, where I kind of really, uh, you know, ramped up my interest in horror, and um, you know, probably also the the earliest film posters I had a real recognition for were the Hammer posters I used to see outside the local cinema. So, um, and that's really probably what started off my interest in um, you know illustration work and, and bringing me to where I am now as somebody who uh, is now you know, producing horror film posters. And um, and in fact, you know. Uh, Doing covers for some of the those classic Hammer films as well, um, uh, so I, I've got a couple which are being released in September. So I can't actually say the titles or anything yet or okay. talk about them, but um, but they're, they're coming up anyway though. But they're two two of my favourites um, as well. So, uh, um, so yes, I'm sort of spoiled rotten in that respect. And of course, yeah. actually, I do remember when I was um, and this would have been I guess when I was twelve years old, nineteen seventy-two. Um, this amazing LP appeared in its shops. <laughs> And um I wasn't allowed to buy it because my parents kind of thought it would <laughs> it would kind of corrupt. My always a
1: thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah <laughs> well if you're not allowed something, you want it even more, don't you, when you're a kid. I mean that's one of the appeals of horror in general, isn't it? Yeah something that's forbidden.
2: Yeah, exactly. forbidden fruits, exactly. So um so Dracula AD seventy two has a sort of uh you know important part in my because you know again as you say it's um when something's forbidden it actually becomes more interesting so far <laughs> yeah. from actually deterring me it actually kind of drew me in uh which is quite quite ironic really um, but anyway yeah. um so that, that's really where the interest in horror uh first began and that's why i'm a horror fan
1: lovely yeah um so you mentioned dracula ad 1972 that's the film you picked to speak about um why, why that film in particular you said it was one of the ones that you were uh that was forbidden when you were younger and that LP you just showed. Uh... Yeah,
2: well, of course, I mean, I, I hadn't seen the film at that time. I mean, I, I wouldn't have been old enough to go into the cinema to see it. And it didn't, you know, appear on TV until, you know, probably, uh, I don't think until the 1980s, I remember. Um, but um, I, I, I do remember reading about it and I knew that it had a sort of contemporary, well, contemporary for 1972s, contemporary in any <laughs> way, anyway, setting. Uh, and I, I remember that it, it kind of, singing for the first time, because that would only have been you know probably eight years after it was made, you know so seeing the film like nineteen eighty then it was made you know only eight years before then, and kind of it felt really dated badly um because obviously it kind of was trying to be you know kind of hip and young and I kind of was just failing in every <laughs> yeah. respect you know the teenagers weren't even teenagers they were all in their kind of twenties. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah and, you know, and all sort of
1: hippies as well when by 72 hippies was a bit old hat I guess wasn't it you know,
2: and, you know the costumes <laughs> were embarrassing and the whole sort of psychedelic thing you know had already been played out by that point but you know looking at the film again now you know here we are in sort of you know 20, uh, uh, 20 uh, 2021 even and um, you know it we was far enough away that actually you, you kind of see it for all the other things that are in there and actually that kind of um you know that that kind of, sort of hipster setting actually makes it more fun in a way because we you know it was like you know it just wasn't like that at the time, but as a sort of, you know cultural kind of pop reference, it's actually quite fascinating, I think, but also it's just great just seeing all these london uh, um locations, many of which are still around and um I think one thing I found a lot later uh, uh, um because you know, these, these kind of films stay with you, and anything you kind of that actually connects with them. Suddenly, you know, uh, uh, actually builds into something much more fun and bigger. And um, uh, the, the 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 plot uh, was essentially, I don't know if you know, this was lifted from a, a real case um, incident uh, where um, a sort of Satanist, as such and a, and a group of friends had tried to um, uh, resurrect a demon in Highgate Cemetery. Mm-hmm. And actually, you can visit the actual little chapel um in the cemetery where apparently this invocation took place. And uh, there, there had um there, there was some um you know tragedy involved around the case and um it made it into the papers. But because um Satanism was such such a big thing at the time, you know, we had the exorcist uh, 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 in book form, and that was a, a, back to made into a film, and um, you know Dennis Wheatley's books were were, were selling really well, so there's an interest in the occult anyway, and so um, I think Hammer just picked up on this and and you know looking for new ways to um, you know uh, rejuvenate the genre, having played out or the. Um, you know, romantic classical settings of Transylvania, Romania, and uh, you know Austria uh, and Bavaria. I actually just thought, you know, it'd be great just to bring it, you know, into London, um, where when, when the, where this interest in the occult was was certainly centred at that time. And you know, obviously, um, although Highgate Cemetery wasn't really kind of you know part of the whole uh, thing, that was very much in their mind anyway, though. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it's just quite interesting that there is some sort of you Know little residual truth uh, behind the, 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 the context of the film, and um, uh, and of course, you know, a lot, a lot of those locations, as I say, you know, you've got King's Road, which is still there, um, some of those locations are no longer there, but it's just interesting being able to actually be almost feel you're in the film <laughs> you know, when you yeah. visit places because they kind of essentially look pretty much the same,
1: yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, my I love horror films set in London, like, I love, um. Deathline, the Donald Pleasant uh, film. I love that. And I, one, one of my favourite films ever made is uh, American World in London. And that's probably the film I've seen more than any other. And whenever I'm in, <laughs> Tottenham Court Road Station looks so different now, but still, whenever I'm there, I always think, this is American World in London. Exactly,
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, um, yeah. I actually managed to visit uh, a lot of those locations um, uh, about a year ago. We went to Wales and we went to... Uh, where those opening scenes were shot and, the, you know, the exterior of the slaughtered lamb. Mm. And then oh, um, well, yeah. like last year we went to Brookwood Cemetery, which is a cemetery I've never been to before, where they shot uh, scenes from the Omen amongst other things.
1: Oh, yeah. And,
2: um, and, and uh, there's a pub nearby which we went to, which was where they shot the interiors for the slaughtered lamb. Uh, so a friend of mine, we were on this tour in Wales, uh, he, he made sure he was wearing the same clothes when we went to Brookwood so that he could he, he did he did the pretend yeah. walking into the slaughtered lamb and wells and, then, <laughs> and then pretended to be walking into the pub. <laughs>
1: yeah, that <Yeah>, was <sounds> good. <laughs>
2: yeah, but um but yeah the the, the uh, London locations are, I mean London, you know London's such a rich city architecturally anyway that has a fantastic history so you can you know you can sort of um pretty much film anything here with a sort of you know relevant uh, period in history or location, you know. A, a, a location. Deathline is great of course as well because it is a classic London underground um, mm. film and actually it was quite a, a funny um, last year during the lockdown I, I took the chance just to do some things in the flat just you know stuff I've been waiting to do for ages and had a few lucky jobs which kind of pulled in a little bit of money and one of the things i, I always wanted to do is put a wooden floor down in the kitchen and uh, I had this guy came around to, to measure up and um, he saw some of the posters on the wall. So you like horror films and you know <laughs> being rather obvious. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it's actually quite funny, my my dad um was involved in a horror film. He he uh, wrote a screenplay and he said you may not have heard of it, but it's called Deathline. And I went, <laughs> of course I've heard of it. <laughs> and uh wow. so, yeah, quite funny to have that weird little um
1: connection. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I would just want to speak about Deathline, I'd be interrupting them uh... <laughs> out my job, just wanting to think about Donald Pleasance. Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. yeah. Talking about degrees of separation. Yeah, quite amazing.
1: Yeah. So um, you were saying you you're particularly into Hammer films. What is it about Hammer in general that you think uh, that's really captured you when you were younger?
2: Um, I, well, I, firstly, it's the the look of them. Um, you know, they 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 look beautiful. Um, they have a really good you know regular roster of um, designers, uh, costume designers. Um, and the lighting, of course, is fantastic, because I, I think one of the reasons I think the early hammers especially look great is because you have technicians who probably had been lighting for black and white for, for many, many years. And um, so they understood you know, how, how, how things have to look quite sculptural, um, because obviously it's a much flatter uh, uh, look when you have black and white. And, and just trying to light things so you get dimension and depth and dynamism, they brought all those lighting skills with them. So when you add in the colour as well, you get this you know incredible look, which is just you know this kind of old school lighting if you like, with new school um colour and and, and colour stock. So you kind of got this kind of really uh, a, a great kind of look to them already. And you know, which is appropriate given that you know that they're harking back to the source material that Universal provided. So they're kind of remaking universal universal horror films but with you know lurid bright colours. And um, I think it was also that, you know, you could sense that um, they're really kind of trying to push the envelope, really taking it away from the, you know, rather kind of um, uh, 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 um, theatrical um, way that the Universal films, you know, appeared with a very kind of stage in many ways. And, you know, kind of very much like, like stage plays almost, you kind of felt sometimes. And they're obviously looking at ways to um, spice things up. And so really you can sort of chart, you know, um uh, how, how Britain changed uh, from that that you know the earliest you know frankenstein curse of Frankenstein up to you know Dracula, a d seventy two how you know sort of um, um uh, 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 sort of sexuality you know kind of uh, uh, played a big part and, and as you know um British culture changed, you can see how those hammer films also just embrace each little change and just pushed a little bit further as I went along. And I think probably by the time the 1970s had come along, um, you know, they're, they're obviously adding in more nudity and stuff. And actually, it kind of um, it, it kind of almost became a distraction in a way from, you know, I think, what the core ideas had originally been. And there obviously were attempts to go back to those original values, which were, um, uh, for instance, when they made um, um, Frankenstein and a Monster from Hell. It went right back to those early Gothic uh, uh, um, period pieces, without all the you know nudity and stuff. So there, there was an attempt to go back, but I think you know the, the genie being released in the bottle is such, and in many ways, I think that was really where Hammer uh, came a bit unstuck. I mean, I think um, Dracula AD seventy two kind of reins it in a little bit more. Um, th- there's less of the nudity kind of uh, need in there. Um, but I think, you know, rooting it in, in, as I said, you know, a real incident also gives it, uh, gave it a slight bit of authenticity as well. And, you know, kind of Peter Cushing has never looked so good, I don't think. And even Christopher Lee, although they were, you know, getting older by this point, especially Peter Cushing, it was that kind of, um, you know, that kind of... Uh, 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 Look of lives, you know, that have been lived to the, you know, uh, 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 and all the experience that life gives you, just etched into their faces, and that, that kind of gave it some real gravitas, I thought. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as Hammer are concerned, you know, I, I still, you know, I can never tire of watching any of the films because I think there's so many layers to them, and and, and again, you know, the artistry is phenomenal, and of course, um, the other thing, um, Dracula AD seventy two has is a great soundtrack. I mean that opening credit sequence is, is is fantastic. You know, it's kind of a little bit jazzy, trying to be a bit modern, and um, and it, you know, kind of. <laughs> I, I love the opening sequence where um, you know the wagon wheel death is fantastic, of course. though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's just you know, the, the, the voiceover describes you know Dracula uh, uh, being hanged and um, you know uh, uh, being pursued into the the metropolis of London and you get this kind of like shot of the woods <laughs> <You know, laughs> yeah, yeah. no, not a building <laughs> to <but a scene. laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs>
2: so, be so much for the metropolis yeah but, um, yeah. but I, I just love that idea but you know it's just one of those things it's a joy to watch on a big screen um, I think it was um, probably about a, a year and a half ago maybe two years ago that Caroline Monroe introduced um, the film at the Regent Street Cinema and so it was a chance just to see it on a big screen, probably for the first time, actually, for me. And it just looked absolutely amazing, though. It looked fantastic and just really felt cinematic and, and quite big as well. And, of course, the interiors of the church, which I'd always been convinced were real interiors, were, of course, a big stage set. But it just looks fantastic, though. Pretty mm-hmm. really atmospheric. So, um, you know, I think for that reason, Dracula AD 72 stands up really, really well, because it just looks great. And, um, you know, how these like, kind you know, Odd uh, 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 additional characters in there, uh, but uh, but yeah, it's got you know the the two important ones, Peter uh, Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, who he, he just really hold the film together.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's uh, well. Again, I'd love to see it on the on uh, the cinema screen. It's because I think all any of the uh, Hammer films, they just look like yeah, you said just look amazing, and those colours are sort of rich, sort of that technically, you know, it's just yeah, it's made to be seen on the big screen, really, isn't it? Absolutely. It's an interesting era, I think, of Hammer is the like um, early seventies because that was sort of like horror was changing quite a lot around them, wasn't it? Really, you had like films like Night of the Living Dead had come out, and you know films were really pushing the envelope, and especially when it comes to like violence and things in films. And ha- I think Hammer were worried that they were feeling a bit old hat so they would do again films like AD uh, nineteen seventy two and uh, The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires and things like that. Um, yeah, is that like a Particular era you like of Hammer? You well, know, it is, it is. sort of like the stuff?
2: Yeah, it is. I mean, I think, you know, I uh, uh, um there was a lot of resistance to those films really from the purists at the time. And um I think it's almost it, it, it was felt that Hammer had overshot, you know, their remit, and um were were kind of you know uh, floundering, really just desperately trying to compete with um n- newer stuff coming out of America. Uh, but you know, I, I think just from you know talking to other people with conventions and things, um, you kind of realise that there's a lot of love for that era of Hammer, and um, you know it's being reappraised. And uh, I think you know just the fact that actually you're more likely to find somebody alive from that period of Hammer <laughs> for a convention than you are of some of the earlier films. You know, kind of makes it a little you know gives us that tie, if you like. So. You know, you know um, Caroline, obviously, is very much with us and, um, you know, still enjoys doing conventions and always very happy to talk about the film. Pauline Pirt, of course, who's in Titanic, Right to Dracula, um, is very much on the convention circuit now as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great to talk to. So it's, it's good having those connections, you know, to, 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 to these films still. Um, you know, sadly, obviously, Peter and uh, Christopher are no longer with us. Uh, and, you know, as many of those people aren't, but... Um, you know, we, we can still have that link now. And uh, uh, I think because, as I say, it, it's sufficiently long enough ago now that, um, you know, it's it, it's kind of, you know, we're talking about 50 years, um, that actually it, it's it's now an artefact of its time, in a way, so a time capsule. And um, it's, it's, you know, we're not embarrassed by the 70s anymore, <laughs> we're, we're sort of fascinated by them. And it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting thinking that, um, you know, when Hammer films were being made, you know, all those universal films seem like such a long time ago. But actually, we're looking at a similar period now. If you think about the 1930s and the 1970s. You know, we're talking about this 50 year period uh, or whatever. So, um, you know, it, it, it's kind of interesting how we can look back at Hammer in the same way that, um, you know, uh, uh, we look back at universal um horror at the time as well. So it's just, you know, it's just quite fascinating really seeing how that works.
1: Yeah, and there's something about those characters, you know, especially Dracula and vampires and things that films have always gone back. There's always, there'll always be different takes on that sort of legend all, all throughout films, really, and there's sure there's going to be more to come as well.
2: Oh, I hope so, yeah. Yeah, there will be. I mean, um, you know, the uh, Mark Gatiss series, you know, uh, last year um, really kind of helped um, invigorate the 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 idea. I mean, you know, trying to go back to the source material in an authentic kind of way, and then just you know taking it further, I thought was a lovely idea, and um, uh, 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 you know they, they they really captured that kind of um, gothic you know feel in that first first episode. I thought uh, really well, and you know you know sort of got enough homage to Hammer in there as well. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it's it's great. The sort of um, it's a legacy which will you know continue. And I'm always sort of fascinated how uh, um, you know people look back at Frankenstein and Dracula, the original. Novels and always find new nuances within them. And um, it's been great meeting um, Dacre Stoker a few times. And uh, uh, he, he's been, you know, particularly looking at the history of um, the writing of Dracula and, and um, you know, finding all these little interesting connections. And um, we know that Dracula was written um, uh, in a period, uh, I think it's a period of about eight years or so. And during that period, um, the uh, Jack the Ripper uh, murders happened, and, and kind of obviously um, um, gets you know there are some sort of elements of, of those murders actually appear in Dracula, and and the East End uh, pops up in particular um, where uh, Dracula, um, I think he has about some sort of six coffins just off Brick Lane, uh, for instance, though, so, and um, mm. uh, so obviously the, the the area was familiar to, to Ram Stoker, which I think is probably down to the fact that. Um, he he was working at the Lyceum Theatre at the time as a manager there, and um, certainly a lot of the costumes would have been made in that um, Brick Lane area. So it's kind of got his theatre connection there anyway. But uh, uh, there was this there's this kind of lost um, version of Dracula um, where uh, the the end um, uh, uh, end chapter has um, uh, the castle actually blowing up uh, in a volcanic eruption, uh, so it's literally the castle set on, on on a volcano, and of course, you know, that doesn't, uh, apparently doesn't exist anymore, that, that, that written um, oh, wow, yeah. bear of, um, but I, I'd love to read that um, in its original form, um, but uh, Dacre Stoker did say he, he had, he's obviously been to uh, Transylvania a number of times, taking tours there, uh, and uh, of course Bram Stoker never went there, uh, of course, but, um, uh, he did say that uh, there are co- coordinates given for Castle Dracula in the novel. And he's and actually finding those coordinates, apparently it is on an extinct volcano. So um uh, you know it's interesting hanging out that kind of uh, yeah. that was actually known by Bram at the time. I'm not too sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. possibly it was. I mean he, he did all his research obviously in places like the British Library and um obviously you know research the areas i don't know whether it was a coincidence or not but uh, anyway it, it, it's there and I'll, hopefully i'll get to visit some at some point i've never yeah. been
1: okay yeah it would be amazing wouldn't it yeah to go and see see that yeah which all you, you obviously love the the classics and the Hammer era Is, um do you still follow like more modern horror and do you more into the you know much oh, yeah. more uh, the later stuff
2: yeah 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 and um you know, one of uh, one of the life's pleasures has been going to the fright fest every year, uh, which is where you're going to see you know a good broad spectrum of new horror, and and particularly um, you know films that are made on the continent. You know the Spanish, uh, German films, French, and other, you know they're, they're kind of quite quite astonishing, and um, you know stuff from South America. Even uh, it, it's just interesting seeing. How other cultures, well, not dissimilar as ours, well as obviously, but um, with different kind of reference points, are, are, are creating these, you know, fantastic new horror films. I mean, let the right one in, you know, from Sweden. I mean, who who expected that? And what an amazing film that is. So there's, you know, even um, in Asia, of course, uh, the Korean films and Japanese films uh, have added, you know, hugely to the, to the genre as well. And so there's always new stuff. And just when you think, you know, these genres played out, somebody comes along with something completely unexpected and, and reinvigorates it again. And uh, so it's just great seeing how it kind of just horror just keeps keep reinventing itself. And the thing is, you know, I, I touched on how um, the er, early Universal films had the backdrop of the First World War. And, um, you know, a lot of the American films came out in the 70s um, were, were reactions to the Vietnam War. And in the 50s, there was a reaction to... Um, you know, the uh, 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 nuclear arms race and the, you know, the kind of fears of Armageddon. And, um, you know, the thing is, as long as there's a world out there, there's inspiration for horror. I mean, there's always something to react to. uh, And, you know, there's unfortunately, there's always war, it seems, somewhere on the planet. And, um, of course, we had um, the global pandemic now, which is obviously going to play into horror films as well. But um, it's interesting how how, um, horror films do, do address... You know, contemporary uh, uh, issues and um, politics and uh, religion and all these different things which are around us all the time. And so it's kind of it's it, it kind of creates debate and conversation, I think, um, as well as creating the entertainment, obviously. Um, I was watching White Zombie um, the other day, which was made two years after uh, a year after Dracula with Bella Lugosi, starring Bella Lugosi, of course, and has. Very similar elements to it—a big, you know, gothic setting, although it's actually in Haiti, but somehow weirdly looking like Transylvania. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, there's some great little, uh, you know, cultural references in there as well. Uh, 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 and actually, it being, you know, probably probably the first zombie film, actually, it does make a reference to um, um the Living Dead as well. That they, they refer to the place of the Living Dead, uh, which is like a graveyard in, in Haiti. And um, so clearly, that that was the original reference point for, um, you know, the, the, you know, A uh, Night of the Living Dead and you know Day of Dead. So you kind of can see where that lineage uh, comes from. Um, so again, that's kind of really uh, again come from Dracula in many ways. Um, so we've got a lot to thank uh, Bram Stoker for.
1: <laughs> yeah, very much suppose Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the zombies and stuff is, I think, is a really interesting one because um, I mean, I. When I was younger, I was such a huge fan of the George Romero stuff in particular and the sort of Italian Lucio Forci type stuff. Um, but then you have things like now The Walking Dead and it's everywhere. Zombies is like a it's sort of just part of pop culture now, isn't it? You know, whereas I remember when I was watching, you know, zombie flesh eaters and stuff, it was like almost it was like a bit too terrifying. It was too much. It was like this is an underground sort of sleazy thing. But now when I, I used to work with children and they used to play zombies, they would chase each other around playing big zombies. You know, it's just just part of the, uh, the zeitgeist still, isn't it, really?
2: Yeah, I thought um, Zombie Flesh Eaters is great. uh you know, one of the things it does uh, do, of course, is is uh, also it does throw in its little bit of um, history as well. You know, where you have the uh, uh, basically Spanish conquistadors um, who, who yeah, are, yeah. are the, the, the zombies, I guess, on the island and um. You Know the tombs of the blind dead, you have the night, uh, night templars, um, and so you know it kind of explores all these little uh, weird religious origins. Uh, and, and I, I, I kind of love all of that, just looking for those little um incidental details which kind of make it so much richer and you know give it some sort of historical context. Um, yeah, yeah the zombie things quite amazing, really, how that kind of um has just grown because I think even in the 70s it didn't seem that huge. I mean, obviously, there were the films that, that were being made uh, that actually you know, kind of um, you know, considered great, you know, great classics. But um uh, I think it's only in the last sort of fifteen years it kind of really has taken hold as a, a sort of you know as a, a thing. And actually uh, um tragic uh tragically um I was reading this morning about um the thirteen year old boy who was shot dead by a policeman in, in America. Mm-hmm. Um and um his mother was just talking about the boy, you know, you know, what a lively, lovely little kid he was. And and just weirdly, and also he just loved zombies. And apparently he said, to, one of his things was he always had a, a bag packed for the zombie apocalypse, which was such an
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: odd little yeah. detail to have in there. It was yeah. a terrible tragedy, but this, you know, this cultural reference is kind of just ever present, it seems though. So, um, so yeah, the zombie yeah. thing is still, quite, quite a powerful force. And um, I, mean, I guess that, uh, you know, it, it acts as a, a, a sort of handy metaphor um, in many ways. Um, uh, I think that, uh, um, you know, one, one of the problematical things about uh, a, a zombie films and a point somebody, a friend of mine brought up was that, um, you know, shooting zombies is just obviously kind of like a, a sport in 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 films, it seems, know I mean, you always shoot them in the head. And um, and it, you know it's, it's interesting this kind of uh, idea that you can use a gun freely and just shoot people uh, yeah. without consequence. Uh, it kind it has a very sort of dark kind of um, undercurrent to it, though. And it kind of when you look at um, especially the last four years in America, you know that the rise of the far right there and and, and you yeah. know their, their love of guns, it kind of just feels really quite uncomfortable. And I, 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 I you know I suspect that. Um, you know as time goes on this is going to be addressed in zombie films um you know i think uh yeah. we get to see a zombie film which um makes a direct reference to trump but <laughs> yeah, it's gonna happen.
1: Yeah, yeah i would, wouldn't be surprised if that comes soon yeah <laughs> like i guess in the original dawn of the dead it was um like the, one of the opening scenes in that is the SWAT team going into the sort of projects, wasn't it and then there's these racist white um, SWAT team members being saying awful things and then like obviously sh- wilfully shooting the people, even if they're zombies, you know, they were, and I guess that's one of the points of that film, isn't it? It goes from that to the people having to kill essentially humans, but they're zombies, but they're still people, yeah. you know, later on to survive.
2: Yeah. Funny, funny little um, vampire fact um, as well. <laughs> yeah. One of the SWAT team was uh, John Amplus, the actor who played Martin
1: of course yeah yeah that's a very a, a great vampire film martin that's a brilliant one yeah i'm getting another film that sort of takes that vampire legend and does something interesting with it and you know i think one of the interesting things in martin is that is he a vampire or is he just a person like a deluded human yeah yeah i love that film yeah
2: there's, there's a great bit of ambiguity but all those um black and white sequences just look so fantastic though you really get a sort of sense of that kind of uh, old universal uh, uh, kind of um, horror film going on there. And it's like whether it's just playing out in his head or whether it's actually meant to be a sort of uh, a past life, you know, you're not too sure. But uh, but I, I do, I I think it's a great film though.
1: Yeah. It was obviously George Romero like knew his stuff when it comes to horror. I mean, you know, to see his amazing body of work really, but uh, you know, and that that's one of the films that obviously shows it. And that, and I always think a creep show as well, but he obviously knew the right way to do these uh, sort of, schlock, like for that case, a more schlocky, sort of like EC Comics look. And, yeah, George Romero, a hero. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> another one I think about, like, something to, to do interesting things with vampires, I've always liked uh, Near Dark as well. That's always been an in- one of my favourites.
2: Yeah, it was an interesting one. I, 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 I remember going to the cinema to see it, and actually I remember liking it, but it didn't really uh, have the impact I kind of was expecting. And again, you know, similar similar era, we had uh, Lost, the Lost Boys as well, which again I saw when it, it, the first time around, and I remember sort of not being that you know hugely impressed by it. However, I have looked at um, I've watched Lost Boys again more recently, a few times, and um, literally a few times, and uh, it 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 it's actually again it's it, it, it removed sufficiently from that time when it was made that actually you can reappraise it now and see a slightly different film. But it does have, um, you know, a really good vampire family. And uh, I've forgotten the whole, you know, the the, the whole sort of um, climax is quite an amazing, you know, vampire film climax. And uh, I've forgotten just to what extent the whole vampire thing really builds in it though. And, you know, that revelation that the, the father is actually the, the head vampire, and actually, he's a really good vampire as well, uh, just yeah. Yeah, made it really special. So, again, you know, once he got over the big hair and shoulder pads that everybody sees, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's actually a fairly decent vampire film in there.
1: Yeah, you know, I guess it's similar to what you were saying about Dracula AD 1972, where it's very, like, of the time. And like Lost Boys is very eighties. Everything about it is very, very eighties. So I guess at the time, I mean I'm a, a bit younger. I saw it when I, you know, I was born in 84. So um I guess at the time it was a bit like, oh this is, you know, cheesy. This is what everyone looks like now. This is, you know, they're just trying to be cool and hipster and I guess looking at it now, it's almost like a time capsule of that era, isn't it?
2: It is, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, so I uh, yeah, I don't know why NeoDark didn't write quite click with me. Um, I, I, I honestly haven't seen it for a long time, so perhaps if I watched it again now, I, I'd feel differently about it.
1: Which one was weird ones Because it's not it's not a particularly scary horror film. It's just it's more of like an action movie that happens to have vampires in it. You know, it's uh, I really like it. Yeah, I think it's got a, sort of half the cast of Aliens, is in it? Because it's um, <laughs> Catherine Bigelow who directed it at the time, when she I think she was uh, married to James Cameron, so there was a lot of crossover of people in that film and Near Dark. <laughs> And um, well, you also mentioned uh, "Let the Right One In." That's another really good take on the vampire thing. I uh, love that film. I've not seen that for a while, actually.
2: Which of course uh, brings us back to Hammer, who um, mm. made the remake.
1: Of course, which yeah. I
2: was actually expecting to really hate, um, you know, because mostly a foreign language film it is perfect as it is and shouldn't be remade just to, for the sake of making it American. Uh, but um, uh, but uh, uh, I thought that Hammer did a really really good job of, of the remake and in fact you know I can watch either either of the two films and enjoy them as separate entities um, because they, they feel different um, yeah. uh, and, and you know the acting is actually brilliant and the casting is really good in both films and they both have their own kind of universe if you like um, that they exist in so I can watch either of them and just see them as two completely different films uh, which I think you know it, it's, it's, it's all credit to to the makers of the remake to actually. You know, take something, remake it, but actually make it uh, a new film uh, where, where you don't actually feel this is just, you know, uh, a, a retread of something that's already there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I don't think it takes away from the original at all, because, um, as I say, you can still watch the original and it's still a really, really great film. uh, You know, without it being it doesn't seem to have been tainted by the remake, which can happen yeah. sometimes
1: yeah definitely and normally again it normally just feels like a money spinner doesn't it when they do that um i know they did a lot of it with the like the japanese and um uh korean films that you you mentioned earlier on they there was like a big era of remaking them with like english language american remakes weren't they they never were as effective as the originals
2: well i think the, the, the other issue is that the, uh, those original films were in a sort of very um um you know for us in the west i guess a, a very sort of foreign um uh, unfamiliar setting so you're already on 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 a sort of in, in sort of unknown territory uh where culturally things are different as well and everything everything is just you know it's like a parallel universe in a way, and that kind of gives them i think um an extra punch uh, because it it's, it seems more alarming to us because we're not comfortable with the surroundings because we're unfamiliar with everything and and i think as soon as you uh you know Americanize something. it's Mm. it's too familiar suddenly you know think well i I don't understand what why why am i not so i'm not i'm not finding it disturbing anymore suddenly it's too cozy and too familiar and um yeah of course they're not going to work for that reason
1: yeah and i guess a lot of them were so like steeped in their sort of their own folk tales and folklore and things when you move that to america then it sort of just seems out of place doesn't it really
2: yeah and of course um, there's another interesting uh a horror um, industry that happened, uh, which was in India, um, I mean, India does churn out horror films, uh, but they, they, just for a little while, they actually had um, a, a company that was set up uh, basically to emulate Hammer, um, two brothers, and uh, they kind of churned out a series of films, and so they are trying to take the lead from, you know, some of the themes from Hammer, but then Making them very Indian, so uh, there's a there's a uh, um, it's it's not that good, it's a Dracula film, and um, and so they've got the, the basic Dracula character, but of course, he's Indian, and uh, they th- there's any excuse to have a soul and dance
0: <laughs> it's, yeah.
2: it's, It just looks so bizarre, it's like you know, yeah. it's like almost like turning into a musical, really, but uh, um. But yeah, there is a there is a great tradition of horror in India as well. It's just that we don't really get to see it. Um, but mm-hmm. I mean, they, they kind of, uh, uh, the industry there has specialised in in remakes of, you know, and actually, you know, complete rip-offs of uh, yeah. films. Um, but, you know, obviously tailored for the uh, Indian audience, um, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, I, I do remember going to see um, uh, a film, um, actually in Ladakh, which is a, the sort of northern part of India which is on the sort of Tibetan border and uh, I went with a friend who's another big horror fan we went to we were determined to go to a cinema in this kind of far-flung region uh, just to get the full kind of experience of you know kind of a I guess our cinema would have been here in many ways because um, they're still using you um, know carbon rod projectors you know the light sources these two carbon mm-hmm. rods yeah, don't, yeah. don't exist here anymore but um, it was fascinating to to sit in his audience of packed cinema. Uh it was um an Indian film called Om Shanti Om, which is completely bonkers. Um, you know, um, song and dance routines everywhere, of course, and then sort of this weird kind of horror undertone as well, which had elements of the phantom of the opera randomly in there. I mean, very, very odd. Um, it's all over the place, but you know, just absolutely fantastic entertainment of course and of course the audience were just loving it and you know there were there were monks um uh uh, farmers you know all sorts of people in the audience yeah and we were um we we were shown to the um circle upstairs and the guy who was actually also the projectionist as well as the man taking the tickets and actually being the usher as well just one person uh, showed us upstairs uh, because he said um if you're upstairs people can't spit on you um (laughs) (laughs) 1970s punk rock concert
0: what's going on here Uh,
2: but what was funny was that every now and again the picture would get fainter and darker and darker as obviously the rods were burning out and people just holler whistle shout scream and you know the guy would come back from this uh, you know booth down outside up to the projection room where you'd have to you know wind the rods back together again so they could carry on burning brightly again. And this would happen about, um, every kind of 20 minutes or so. <laughs> Just
1: really, oh, really yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds amazing. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen any Indian horror films, but I know like obviously they're known for churning out lots and lots of films. And I'd imagine there's some great ones out there. Yeah. Yeah. I
2: I've, um, I'd always wanted to go to the, uh, uh, um, cinema in Southall, the Himalayan, as it's called, though. so it kind of just looks fantastic anyways as cinema and, um, you know, just promises so much. And of course, they, I think things, I think, um am trying to think which cinema it was now. Maybe it was the Coorsden, um, perhaps in the West End. Uh, they used to set aside uh, a Sunday morning uh, specifically to do, uh, to show Indian films. Um, Which was, um, you know, a great thing to do. Things there are so many Indian films. It's such a huge industry. We just don't really get to enjoy it, really, because it's, you know, considered it's culturally different, and you know, we're so sort of enamoured of America and its its culture that, um, you know, people are kind of missing out, I think, on on this kind of really um, amazing kind of entertainment factory. Um, So uh, I went to um, the theatre to see uh, uh, what was it called. Um, is it called Bombay Dreams or something like that? Maybe I'm not, uh, sure, I'm not sure. it, it, it was a, 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 a musical production, basically about uh, about Bollywood, and and, um, and about you know the whole industry, and essentially being you know a, a big song and dance routine in the same kind of way. Um, but it was fascinating stuff, just really really colourful, and just really made you want to just watch loads
1: of fun Bollywood films. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it sounds great yeah I bet. again i bet see well any seeing any film i think especially horror films with a packed energetic audience there's nothing else like it it's one of the things i miss most of the pandemic is just going to see films on a big screen with like a group of mates sort of having a lot of fun you know so I miss i can't wait to do that watch a watch a scary film with a load of loved ones shouting Thanks, and screaming yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah i guess i don't know whether the flight fest is going to happen this year i mean it all being all mm, yeah Bit too soon because I think they would still have to do um, some sort of um, social distancing. Whether cinema yeah. would want to, you know, risk losing out on on uh, revenue, I don't know. Um, I, I think that's still in the air at the moment. But uh, I know the Dark Fest is, is hoping to go ahead in November uh, at the Genesis Cinema in the East End, um, Ripper Territory, of course. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Uh,
2: uh, um. So. Uh, uh, hopefully that that will happen, um, and, and that yeah, will Fingers will, crossed. Yes, exactly. Um, and I think Sheffield HorrorCon is hoping uh, to happen this year in September. Uh, obviously, it's kind of early at the moment. We, we don't know if that can happen or not. And um, I guess part of the question will be, you know, uh, how you know will, will guests want to come? You know. Yeah. Uh, from America. And I guess
1: if they're coming internationally as well, yeah, what the problems will be there, yeah.
2: exactly. And then also, you know, given that um, part of the appeal for those conventions is, you know, getting up close and you know personal to uh, the guests, you know, getting stuff signed and having pictures taken with them, you know, whether social distancing would mean that can't really happen. I don't know. So um, it remains to be seen anyway. Though. Fingers crossed, though, because I mean, I think we're all yeah, missing. Well- well, yeah off. definitely
1: i mean I- it seems next year might be the year where things start coming back properly fingers crossed but this year i think it will be i think certain events will happen again but we just don't know what what sort of capacity and you know what sort of guidelines they'll be you um again what will you do for a living your uh, artwork and things you must have uh well you said you've done some of the, your favorite hammer films that must be amazing Right, must be a privilege to be able to do these covers for um for films, and you must have met. Uh, if you go to a lot of the conventions, where you must have met some impressive horror icons. Is there anyone in particular that well, you've it's met?
2: Very uh... old, it's very odd how um you, you can work on a job, and you know you can paint somebody's face, and and you know a number of times even, and then suddenly you you, you find yourself in a situation where you're actually face to face with the real person. And um, I, I brought up this point with somebody recently. It's just that when when you're used to seeing people in two dimensional form, which is yeah. now in a film. Or in stills, and you're painting them in two-dimensional form as well. To actually be confronted by the, you know, the real three D sculpted version of them is is always, uh, if people look different, you know, because yeah, aware of this kind of physicality, which is just not there in two dimensions at all. And um, uh, and of course, the other thing is, you know, we're talking about actors generally who, who are not the characters they're playing. Um, <laughs> so you know, the first thing you get over is the fact this is not you know, if you're meeting Jeffrey Coombs, it's not Reanimator. You know,
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, probably a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> and
2: Lawrence R. Harvey, you're not meeting the bloke from the, you know, Human Centipede two, for instance. <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, but you're meeting real people, and and of course the, the physicality of them as well. And then also, you know, you know they're, they're kind of well-rounded human beings with you know sensitive humour, and um and, and it's, it's just interesting, just you know. Uh, meeting people who were just not the people in the films, but they're actually suddenly, actually, you know, uh, whole new human beings. If you like, though so. yeah. And and it's a, how they relate to the, their their films as well is always quite interesting. I find um, you you obviously find some people are embarrassed about certain things they've done, or they felt that um, you know, their career has been hamstrung by having you know one one particular strong character they played, uh, you know, a, a, as being their one kind of identifiable role. And and of course, you know, I remember uh, David Warner at um one of the German events, uh weekend of um horrors, I think it was, or weekend of hell perhaps. Um and he was just complaining that um, you know, people said, oh, I've done other things than the omen, you know. <laughs> and said, oh, people, you know. something from the omen signed. And he's you know, so saying, yeah. I've done other things, you know. <laughs> and he had an amazing career. Uh but you know, people always remember him for his role in the omen uh, and uh so yeah he kind of um you know i, I he he knows that um it it's brought him fame and, and you know a, 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 a revenue stream from conventions at the same time he also would you know like to be known as an actor who has actually had quite a, a varied rich career
1: yeah definitely it must be like a double-edged sword for an actor because you know like, would sort of I think most actors would give their right arm to have such an iconic role in a yeah. like that, but then once you do that, you will always be known for that, you know, and I think that happens a lot with horror in particular, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, well, Robert England, of course, would be um, uh, one of the you know, strongest cases uh, for that, I mean, I, I don't think he's ever resented um, playing Freddy because, I mean, obviously, it's just, you know, presumably made him a very rich man, but, I mean, you know, gave him a, a very long career, and certainly, in, in convention terms, you know, very lucrative revenue stream as well. Um, you know, I, I don't know what he... You know, he'd already starred in horror films anyway, in, in sort of to, to a lesser extent. Um, so you know, he he was no stranger to the genre. But uh, it it must be kind of fascinating to, you know, have that kind of um with you all the time, you know, you'll always be Freddy in not run three. And um, you know, it's it's something he'll never be able to break away from. But I don't think he, he I don't believe that he probably feels that he needs to anyway, because he knows that it has been you know, the most amazing thing that's probably happened in his career, you know, very lucky. I mean, who, know that, who knew that Nightmare on Elm Street was going to be such a successful film? I mean, I don't think it was ever not going to be a success, but the be, to become a, a phenomenal franchise as it has done. And, you know, it's probably nowhere on the planet, you know, somebody isn't going to fear of a Nightmare on Elm Street. I do remember um, it's one of those kind of uh, rare times when I had enough money to go and, and you know, travel afar. I always had this idea that if you if you get a bit of money, it is, it's good to use it uh, in a useful kind of way, which we you know will be you know something we can, you can bring back into your work if you like, which is sort of life experience, I guess. And um, I'd always dreamt about going to Kathmandu, which is one of those magical names, um, and, and and Nepal, of course, with the Himalayas. And um, you know, uh, for me, there was always the legend of the Yetis was well a sort of <laughs> as a, an added <laughs> attraction there. Um, but I do remember uh, going to Nepal, must have been 1989 for the first time, and uh, crossing this little rickety bridge just outside Kathmandu, the city, to go to this particular um, temple. And uh, at the time I still had earrings in, I had like a little skull, earring, silver uh, skull. And this little kid came running up to me and he was looking at the skull and said, oh, do you like the evil dead? I
1: thought, I oh, can't as far
2: away yeah. from, uh, you know, <laughs> the West. And as this little kid, you know, knows the Evil Dead. You know, it's just how weird yeah. is
1: um, Yeah, I mean, obviously Evil Dead, a film that plays a big part in your career, doesn't it, really? Um, well, I suppose you know, yeah. my
2: actor actor gets a role which, you know, uh, yeah. stays with them. I guess, you know, those two posters are, are the ones which um, will always stay with me, which is not a problem at all, because, I mean, um, um, you know, in, in some ways it's... It, it, uh, uh, and to wait to a commission, I guess. So people like to think they have got the person who worked on that particular poster. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and uh, such a film that's become such a like cult classic, and uh, mm. and obviously Sam Raimi becoming this icon, you know, this huge Hollywood blockbuster director, you know, um, yeah.
2: And also it's one of those films which, um, you know, you can watch again and again because there's always yeah. a new little nuance in there, which you can enjoy. And, you know, it's just because it's such a great film anyway, I mean, it's beautifully shot. Uh, oh, the, you know, it's got this fantastic rich color palette, which I, I you know, I, I presume is some sort of reference to hammer in many ways. There are a lot of hammer esque moments in there. And, um, and in fact, that was, um, Sam Raimi did mention, you know, I think I, I brought it up with him the one time I got to meet him and, uh, and you know you can you can see the legacy in, in Evil Dead. It's lovely to think that you know, um, all, you know all these things have some sort of uh, rich lineage and history, which which you know they're, they're just passing through, if you like, into that kind of rich kind of history. Um, but yeah, Evil Dead is it's is one of those um, lucky jobs I, I, I you know mm. was able to do, and you know the, you can't plan something like that, you know, and. Um, you Know when I look at the poster, it's it's, it's quite a crude piece of work. In fact, keep hold there one second. Um, <laughs> sorry to seem so rude and uh, leave you no, on. It's uh, so one of these pieces I'll, I'll never um, part with. Oh, so this
1: wow! Is, I, yeah,
2: which you can see is not, not a very large piece of painting, oh, yeah. quite small, um, about A3 size, I guess, though um but you know the colors are still as bright as the day i painted them um 1980s yeah, amazing um so yeah it, it's uh, the other one i've got is um uh, Freddy's revenge i have still got that illustration oh as well. yeah um but uh, i did yeah. sell um a nightmare on elm street um
1: mm.
2: well back. i actually it got sold on i know who actually owns it uh, and um so hopefully if i get a chance at another exhibition uh, hopefully, I'll be able to have Evil Dead and Nightmare on Elm Street posters together again, just for that. Uh, which been, you know, it's, like, it's, like, it's like getting Frankenstein and Dracula together. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, those two, those two films in particular, Nightmare on Elm Street and Evil Dead, were the two of the first horror films I ever saw. And uh my brother, my brother, an older brother, who would just show me these horror films. And uh and again, we bought the video box with that artwork on, and it was again that was scary enough for me when I was a kid. That was uh, I needed to see that film after seeing that. So yeah. Amazingly,
2: Matt. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I've been able to uh, do new versions of The Evil Dead um, yeah. uh, a couple of times, in fact, but I've never gone back to um, uh, Night- A Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, in fact, I've got a person I've done some private commissions for who actually has. Um, he wants me to do Freddy's Revenge as one of his private posters. So I will be going back to that one um, uh, at some point, probably later in the year, I think. Uh, uh, it's, uh, I just remember it being quite a weak film at the time. Um, yeah, I have, I have watched it again since. Uh, and it kind of got reappraised a while back at the um National Film Theater, uh, as being uh, a film with a gay subtext. And of course, it's, it's actually not just a subtext, it's kind of right there.
1: Yeah,
2: It's quite a fascinating film for that reason. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, there, there's, there are moments where there's some good imagery in there. And, you know, it, it'll be a fun job to go back to. Um, although, yeah, you know, I still have a fondness for that original poster um, that I did. And it's still, you know, one of the pieces I'm most proud of, uh, I think. Um, and, you know, just the fact that it had that impact for a lot of people as well, you know, it's very sort of gratifying um, to think as well.
1: Yeah, well, when I, you know, when I was a kid, you, you when you, I wasn't allowed to rent these videos, but all the video I could see the cases and the posters and the video shops and the cinemas, and that's sort of how I engaged with horror films as a kid before I could see the films was, hmm. and I think the uh, Freddy Revenge was definitely one of them. I always remember the school bus on it, and yeah, I remember the the local video shop, you know, desperately wanting to see these films, but there was no chance in hell they would let me rent a yeah. single <laughs> or whatever, you know. <laughs> I had to be sneaky and my older brother out to her. Uh, Show me when I wasn't supposed to, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, of course, the school bus was um, the a um, uh, thing which made it contentious as, as a poster anyway. Though. I remember mm-hmm. uh, outside the cinema in Leicester Square, where the film um, uh, uh, first screened, uh, they painted out the word school bus uh, um, because it was just, you know, considered a bit too... Um, yeah. I, I think the... Whether that kind of was about the time of the Jamie Bolger case, I'm not too sure, but anyway... Mm-hmm. Uh, Clearly, you know child um peril or something um you know to be held at bay, so uh um so yeah, they're a bit sensitive about that one,
1: yeah, well we knew obviously you've done so many different film posters and not just horror as well um, but, um with uh, you also mentioned like the sort of um centers being a bit scared of posters, have you ever had any other problems with some of your the posters you've done for horror films
2: and um... No, not really. I mean, things are, I've always been aware of what, what the, the boundaries are. Um, you know, if, if, if everything I do uh, essentially goes to print and has, is going to be have some, some public display. So you have to be aware that, you know, that some things are appropriate, some things are not. Um, uh, and um, especially perhaps back in the day, you know, when I was working with Palace Pictures, the era of the Evil Dead and El Street. You know all, all those posters were going to be you know one of one of their biggest advertising expenses was um for the london underground where the you know posters would be on the tubes and um you know the, the the underground were very very particular about what what was considered acceptable or not so you always had to be aware of that certain things you couldn't show um, and you know it'd be pointless trying to you know take things too far because um you knew that uh, um i mean I, I think the most ridiculous thing I a experience with the London Underground uh, situation was um, it wasn't actually a painting. It was just literally a still from a film, and it was uh, Peter Jackson's Brain Dead. And um, the image was uh, of the guy with the, um, I, I guess it's like a garden strimmer or something. Uh, and it's just, he's just covered in blood. This thing's dripping with blood. just blood everywhere. <laughs> and um, it was submitted to London Transport for approval, and they wouldn't, um, they would <laughs> They said it's not going anywhere on the underground. Mm. And uh, the thing is, it's like right at the point where the film had to be released, and they needed to print the poster. Mm. There's no time to do a new poster. So the solution was to to um, not use the red ink on the on a full color process. So literally, it was it became a green a green poster, and yeah. uh, that made it acceptable for London Underground. <laughs> the image
1: oh, was <laughs> so strange. So yeah. very weird yeah Um, awesome well thank you very much for that that was a lovely really great chat Um, yeah, yeah I enjoyed that